welcome to friendship and to the grand march through life. Aida is always an exciting time and an exciting way to start the show. My name is James Huey. I'm facilitator of Friendship House. Uh, Friendship is a personal retreat center here in Galveston, and we're a sponsor for, or at least one of the sponsors for this radio program. I'd like to introduce to you, to me, a very special person, someone who I've met here in Galveston and someone that I've grown to appreciate. The more we have dialogue, as not only a professional and intellectual, but also as a delightful human being. This is Bill Alley from Texas A&M in Galveston. Thank you very much, Dr. Huey. I'm delighted to be here. Well, it's good to have you. I really appreciate your taking Thursday night to come over and spend some time with us. One of the things that I was most fascinated and wanted to kind of share with people, maybe since I've been talking about the friendship contract and some agreement of expectations would be perhaps maybe taking a few minutes and sharing with the people how you and I actually met. And maybe you can speak from it from your point of view, and then I'd like to share a reaction with you. Okay, I'd be glad to. I was very interested when I was reading an article in the Galveston Daily News about the new service that had come to the island, and it's called a friendship service. And as I read the article and realized that this was not really a counseling service, but something where people could go and, as you have described, you know, share friendship ideas, one of the things that caught my attention in the article was the fact that this was really not a place for sick people to go, but for well people to go to share mutual ideas. And as I was reading the article, I simply picked up the phone and called the number that was listed in there and said, I'd like to visit with you sometime. And I was so pleasantly surprised because I guess as I interact, and I've been here in Galveston, one of the things that has fascinated me about this city is that so many of the individuals that I have interacted with tend to be much more reactive in their patterns of behavior. They are very pleased whenever I initiate contact, whenever we can share good times and we can go out and have lunch and we can get together and have some wonderful conversations and some very fascinating dialogues. And yet here was someone who took the initiative to actually call and say, I would like to learn more about friendship. And as I've grown to know you, I find, you know, in my expectations, I like someone who shares the load. Well, nobody's ever said I was a bashful person. <laughs> well, I would agree with that. How do you see yourself then? I'm very gregarious. If I see something that I'm interested in or see something that I think would benefit me, uh, I don't set back. I generally will reach out to attain it. Is this something you've always seen in yourself, or is this something that has evolved over time? Well, I think it definitely is something that has evolved. I've spent uh, a lot of time being bashful and not getting what I wanted, that as a person becomes frustrated perhaps with not attaining something and simply is willing to step out and to reach out and to take a chance, there's a world of opportunity out there if we do just take a chance to seek a friend, to buy a new car, whatever it is that we're really wanting to do. You have to make the effort before something's going to come to you. And so once I started making the effort and realized, sure, there may be some negatives that happen to you. Sure, there may be some rejections that happen to you. But somebody gave me an illustration one time that the chance is 50-50 
well, 50% chance of something happening successful if I make an opportunity to make an, an advance on anything I want, that's pretty good odds. I'll take a 50% chance most any time. Yeah, I'd say 50% certainly better. At least you get half of what is the possibility. One of the things that, as you were talking, it sounded like you were one of these people who would see the world as full of opportunity rather than having to see it as being a desert. In other words, it, it almost sounds like you see a smorgasbord of opportunity versus a, a desert with only one or two oases out there. I'd rather look at it that way than look with such a narrow focus on life. A friend of mine in years past has claimed that I live in a Disneyland, but that is to me a whole lot more fun than looking at the desert all the time if I don't like the desert. Is this something that you have seen in yourself? We mentioned earlier about the gregarious quality evolving. Are these other qualities something that have been with you, or are they a result of a, a process of your own personal growth, your own, what we call here on this show, a life novel? I definitely think that I have programmed myself by listening to motivational tapes, by going to motivational seminars, by reading books. And I wasn't very much of a reader growing up, but in later years I have certainly made it a point to be an avid reader of positive books. And I think that has opened up my scope of life. Do you sense you've really changed, or is this an enriching of something that you already were? That's a good question. I think that I grew up with a very positive mother and had a religious background that told me that there was hope. And so I suppose that the, the beginning was there, but I certainly did strike out and, and open the door, the opportunities. Okay. How do you see your personal growth pattern now? In other words, you mentioned motivational tapes as a part of the past. Do you still frequently pep yourself up with motivational tapes? I do. And I, I think or is we, pep up even an appropriate word? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a sustain at this point, I think. We all go through cycles in life, and there have been periods of time when I was listening to tapes as I was shaving in the morning and listening to tapes as I was driving to work and listening to tapes as I was going to sleep at night, and I certainly have gone through that cycle. I do not do it as much now as I once did, but again, we just go through those cycles. I'm curious about motivational tapes, and I say maybe this is one reason I keep coming back to it, but is this something that you just fell accidentally into, or someone recommended it to you, or did you go to a seminar and get hooked? How did it work as far as making motivational tapes a part of your world? I think in one aspect of my life I was doing sales, and in sales most of the people are encouraged to listen to tapes to get revved up so they can go out and face the rejection that salesmen have to do. So you have to build yourself up from the inside to be able to withstand that. And from that opportunity, then I began to surround myself with other friends who were also of a positive nature. What other ways do you find revving yourself up for a continuing positive lifestyle? I think that it would be reading at this point that I try to spend a, you know, a certain part of the day reading something that is new and refreshing and new ideas. I think that everything that I have read in the last 10 years, they're all saying the same thing. All your positive motivational books, all the positive motivational tapes are saying the same thing. It's just a different flavor by a different author of some kind. I try to, to build myself so that I do have some internal strength 
in my own life of living through the economy in the in the Houston Galveston area in the last several years one of the things that has happened to a lot of people and including myself was that the riches that we may have gained during the oil boom for lots of people it was all taken away and if all your things are taken away if all your externals that say you're important and somebody if those are all taken away then who are you I see so often people reacting differently when they lose these external things. In other words, some people pick up their life and they go on just thankful to be here, and other people just become completely decomposed in their ability to respond. They just are so injured and so hurt, and they've really lost this inner being of who they are. I really am, am very thankful that I had built some of my own inner strength before that happened to me because if I had lost everything, as, as you were saying, and they had just gone away, I mean, I, I might be living on the streets today, but somehow through my own strength, but also through surrounding myself with friends who have a positive attitude, and I think this is very important in my life, that I was able to withstand the, the down times and then build it back. Are you saying that one of the ways in which you built your own inner strength was picking out in your friendship circle the people around you selecting friends who would be positive and upbeat? Absolutely. It would be almost silly for me to be listening to positive thoughts, reading positive thoughts, going to seminars that promote positive thoughts, and then surround myself with people who are negative. When I am around a person who is promoting negative thoughts all the time, I tend to want to go the other way. How do you respond to those people who see that negativism is another name for reality? Well, I've, I've definitely heard people say that that is just reality, and I disagree. And everybody has their right to their own opinion. I see them as going down the road with a frown on their face and unhappy. And maybe even an ulcer on the inside or a migraine headache, lower back pain, or any of the other physical symptoms. So I sense that you would be looking for people who would be much more nurturing, somebody who would tend to look and want to focus on the things that are positive in you Absolutely. versus some of your shortcomings. Absolutely. Are there other ways that have been particularly valuable or meaningful for you in your own developmental stages, I mean, your own process of becoming stronger as a person? The aspect of religion is definitely important to me. and Developing a faith. Right. And I made it, I guess, six or eight years without going to church at all during a down period in my life and found that I wanted that back again and so sought out a positive experience. This is my own personal feeling, but I don't believe that every religious experience is a positive experience for me. And so uh, that's one of the things that I found in searching for one is that this one didn't feel good, that one felt okay, this one felt really great. You work through and find out what worked for you as a unique person. As an individual. Employment. In other words, you were in sales and now you're in personnel work. Does the type of work that you choose to do have an effect in your growth? Well, I think that a person needs to be happy with what they do. And I taught that in career counseling in different times of my life when I've been in personnel. I've been about 20 years in, in personnel work. 
and definitely encourage people that if they're very, very unhappy in what they're doing, to look at another option. And there, again, there are so many options out there. Once again, the smorgasbord of possibilities. That's what I believe. Well, one of the things that I particularly enjoyed when you and I first met was a book that you gave to me. Wayne Dyer's Gifts from Icus. And Dr. Wayne Dyer has written a number of books. Probably his most famous, I would guess, is Your Erroneous Zones. And I found Gifts from Icus to be very fascinating. And as I turn here, Icus is talking to the author, and she says, We on Earth have a proclivity for thinking incorrectly, as you put it, and for placing far too much emphasis on external rather than internal processing. So it sounds like Wayne Dyer in this book is kind of encouraging what you are suggesting. This is a very fun book. This is a fictional book that Dr. Dyer wrote, and I think it's his only fictional book. It has a, a such a, a fun way of presenting the message. And this lady, Icus, is actually from another planet, and she visits Earth and sees that all of our attitudes are backwards. And that's what she's calling incorrect thinking. Right. When you gave me the gift of the book, I went and spent some time reading it and tried to see how we would turn around some of the ways in which we actually think here on Earth. To me, it's an example of a personal growth book that people can relate to very comfortably. One of the things I like right away is the fact the print's big enough for me to see it. <laughs> I've gotten to that stage in life where I know that I need reading glasses for so much that's written, and it's nice to be able to pick up the book and actually read it. There's another statement here. The road to enlightenment or self-awareness is an inner path. Leaders can only provide a healthy environment in which people can attain their own truths. People can give you, and, and preachers can give you, and seminar leaders can give you all the kinds of thoughts, but if you don't start taking them internally and start living them, then it's just falling on dead ears. Kind of like seeds falling on rocky ground. I guess one of the hardest things is to try and recognize that they have the power to change this incorrect thinking that ICUS is talking about. The more I interact with people, the more I'm aware of how difficult they find giving themselves permission to make changes. As you've evolved, is that something you've had to work with? We live with so much negativity bombarding us from watching the news every day to reading the newspaper every day that it's all projected on a negative element and so you have to watch for those things you have to be aware that there is negative bombarding you and and by developing some kind of positive system in your own life it will help you to combat those times that you're talking about where you want to have a positive attitude and there's negative around you and you can go ahead and do it and try it. Gamble. So it's definitely part of, of me is, is try it. And also recognizing that it takes time. And whereas, uh, these changes that I sense you're describing tonight are just not something that you woke up one morning and they were there. Oh. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because that is definitely something that people have to be kind to themselves about is that it does take time. You don't listen to one tape for a week and then you're all well. One of the things I'm doing as I'm sitting here and talking with Bill is looking at the book. And I keep finding interesting passages in it that uh, certainly strike to me about one of the things that I find really conflicting in people, and that's the truth, rather than the realization that each of us finds the truth 
for ourselves. Ica says truth is an inner experience, yet many attempt to impose their truths on others without ever stopping to think about separate truths. Each person has an opportunity to view his world as he chooses, and when you allow for separate truths, you no longer need agreements about what is true. I've noticed that that is so hard. Maybe it's a result of our upbringing, because I think about it when I try to conceptualize it within me, I think of remembering that it's a stage where parents and schools have actually taught us that we're looking for the right answer. It just seems like it's still a feeling that I have today. I was looking at a couple of other sections here, and there's one that really jumped out and grabbed me as a, a counseling psychologist. And she says that the truly skilled therapist whom I'm observed provide an environment for self-discovery. They help individual clients assume responsibility for everything about their lives. I've been in private practice off and on for a number of years. And even in personal retreating, I find individuals coming and they're looking for the answer. They're looking for the therapist to be a substitute parent, a substitute teacher, a big daddy who will say, this is the answer, children. I have discovered the way and the light that's good for everybody on this planet. And if everybody would just do it my way, then happiness would reign. And yet I find people coming in their pain and their hurt looking for the way, and it's so difficult as a therapist. I guess you've been working with people and sales and in personnel. Do you find this as you interact in your work and in your own experience? Absolutely. People do look for that, the magic answer. You know, I'm not happy with my job. I'm not happy with my boss. Give me an answer. And my own experience is I have all the answers inside. Mm -hmm. And as you were saying, you know, with a therapist's help or with somebody's help, sometimes that is a non-judgmental person, that person is able to talk out the answers that they need to, to do. You know, my observation is that in our culture, we interact with people and say, talking something out seems to be so insignificant. I mean, it's like we don't really value that in our culture and we kind of at least my impression sometimes is that we look down on people who have a need to talk things out we definitely live in a soap opera society where somebody else <laughs> has all the answers and so we want to go to somebody the next door neighbor the you know the girlfriend the boyfriend and say you know tell me what i should do and that's the easy way out. Follow their rules and regulations or their ideas and don't be yourself. That's the easy way out. We do live a, a soap opera life a lot of times in our daily lives with our jobs, with our families, uh, with everybody that we surround ourselves with and building up the negative and building up the, the drama of what might happen and what has happened rather than you know, trying to resolve those things on an as-is basis. As I sit and I listen to you and as we, we, we seek trying to find the external, and it sounds like we're just coming back to where we started, which was basically the person that Bill Alley is, is an internal definition based on your own experience and how you choose 
to see the world. I use the word choose. Do you see that something you would feel comfortable with? I use that phrase a lot. I smiled as you said that because there's not many people that I hear using that. I have grown and it certainly is something that I have developed, but I choose to do everything. I choose to have uh, you as a friend. I choose to read this book. I don't have to do anything anymore in my life. I choose to do it. Do you hear like I hear? Very few people use that verb. I hear more have to do, ought to do, must do, should, should do, do. Uh, variations of those. One of the things in Dr. Dyer's book that is very humorous and is so telltale is that Icus, the, the woman, covers our attitudes of should, would, and could and how we beat ourselves up with those words all the time, that I should do something, if only I could do something, and oh, if I would have done that. Just pure self-abuse. Oh, absolutely. And it's so humorous in here how she addresses how much easier it would be if we would not use those words. Well, I, w I think most people would agree that it's easier. Probably, how do you actually go about making the changes? In other words, based on your own experiences, if you grew up like I grew up in the schools, we grew up with the shoulds, ought tos, must, have tos. How did you go about making and dropping this and picking up a, I guess, a choice uh, vocabulary? It's a definitely growth, and I think growth is an everyday aspect that after I read this book, and I had not been aware of how many times I used those words, but anytime you learn something new, no matter what it is that you want to implement in your life, then you have to think about it. And when I started hearing myself using those words after I read this book, I would laugh at myself. And it was amazing if you laugh at yourself and realize how funny we all are. That <laughs> Just you being can, able to enjoy the therapeutic value of humor. Yes, that you can say the next time it becomes lighter and lighter and easier and easier to change. Mm -hmm. So you used humor as a way of making the changes in your world. I, I laugh at myself a lot. I'm sure other people laugh at me too, you know, because I am very positive and with so much negativity <clears throat> in the world, I think some people think that I'm really strange, but that's okay. Based on my own observation of you, they don't necessarily laugh at you, but I think I believe they laugh with you. You encourage giving them permission to be themselves with you. And that's true. And I like what you said a minute ago about allowing myself to be myself, but also allowing you to be yourself. And we do have very much of a, a judgmental society also, that everybody should be a certain pattern. And if you should be like I am, and my family should act this way. So we do project our needs and wants and desires on other people far too much. In addition to judging, I sense this an extension also what I perceive as a morality society, in words where we try very hard to make things into good or bad, yes. right or wrong, either or, black or white, and not recognize that we as human beings come in many, many shades uh, between those two poles. Every one of us is an individual. Every one of us is, in, is very, very, very different. And yet that's so hard. I really empathize with individuals who are struggling with the conflict of saying, yes, I'm an individual and I want to grow as a person. And yet I also live in a society that is pushing me in the opposite way. Well, if you don't try to make a change, you'll never make it. And so as difficult as it may be, as much as oppression as we have in our society, if you want to change, 
and you don't like where you are and you don't like some of the attitudes that you have, you can make that change, but it won't be overnight. And it sounds like the change won't come knocking on your door. Right. It sounds like you're going to have to go out and make the change. And I've so many people are sitting there waiting for change to come knocking. They're like they're waiting for friends to come knocking. How many people I know who sit in their apartment and they feel so lonely and they're waiting for somebody to call them? And I say, well, why don't you call somebody? And I find that fascinating. It's another one of those gambles in life. You know, you call somebody and you say, please, and there's your 50-50 chance. Somebody may say yes, somebody may say no. So a lot of people are afraid. And so they stay and they get no rejections, but they feel so lonely. They feel so isolated. There are opportunities for getting out of that rut, whether it's reaching for a book, whether it's reaching for a seminar, there's always opportunities. I've certainly found this, and I didn't come from affluence, and I didn't come from highly educated family, but I found it, and if I can find it, lots of people can. Odell, certainly with those inspirational words, we'll put Aida on and march off to another Thursday evening here on the Power for Positive Living and Friendship. Thanks so much for coming. I really do appreciate it. It's been a delightful pleasure on my part. It's so good to be able to have this program where I can have some time with some fascinating people like you. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and also thank you for my new friendship pen. My pleasure in providing it. Well, as the Grand March fades in, this is James Huey on the Power for Positive Living. do appreciate your kindness in listening, and hope you'll join me each Thursday here as we march with the Power for Positive Living. Good night.